So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Far-right groups are arming themselves and conducting paramilitary maneuvers. People are organizing against Muslims and other religious and visible minorities, and some are advocating closing the borders to immigrants and refugees. Seriously, people, this shit is real, and it's happening right here in Canada. I'm Ryan McMahon. I'm Hadia Rodrigue. And I'm Ashley Chinati. From Canada Land, this is Commons. Welcome to the last episode of Commons for the season. That's right. We're taking the summer off to recharge our batteries and letting our producers' ulcers heal. We'll be back in September with more of the best political podcast in Canada. In the meantime, we've got a hell of a season finale for you. Our entire show this week looks at the rise of the alt-right, the far-right, the fringe-right. We're not even sure how to refer to them. That's okay. I don't know if they know either. I think this is a really interesting time to do this episode, especially given the New York Times wrote this big feature this week saying Canada's immune to all this anti-immigration sentiment that is permeating American politics, you know, inspired the Brexit, was a big part of uh, Marine Le Pen's campaign in France, is obviously still dogging An- Angela Merkel in Germany. And they're basically making this argument that Canada is this great white friendly neighbor to the north. And it's such a... It, it's such a fascinating read. There's this fetishization of Canada right now in international media as this super great place. And I think as we're going to find out today, we are falling victim to this alt-right, far-right, whatever you want to call them in this country as well. Yeah, it's like this sentiment that just because we're not as bad as the U.S., that somehow we're just not bad at all, which is a complete fallacy. I can tell you, I'm someone who has experienced racism in this country, so it definitely exists. It may be slower to come to us in Canada and slower to develop, but that that doesn't mean it's not developing. I think it's one of those passive, systemic racisms that, unlike America, we don't necessarily get viral videos of rednecks in Duck Dynasty t-shirts telling brown or black people to go back to where they came from. Instead, it happens at dinner tables, in workplaces, and it happens quietly. I think I think one of the things that we get confused about is this idea that we are this, this 
polite, utopic society that has room for all when that has never been true. That has never been true. You can go back over this 150 years and you can look at Africville. You can look at the treatment of indigenous people. You can look at Japanese internment camps. And for some reason, because those overt signals of deep-seated racism are gone from our immediate view, that those ideologies are somehow gone from this country. And we got to remember how this country was founded and who founded it. And it points us in the right direction to have this conversation for sure. Happy Canada Day, everybody. Canada has an anti-Muslim racism problem, and it's gotten worse since the election of Donald Trump in the United States. Several anti-Islam groups are holding demonstrations every few weeks to fight what they see as the creeping Sharia law and the Islamization of Canada. They see religious accommodations for Muslim students as indoctrination, and they see the Liberal government as either complicit or part of a globalist movement to destroy Western culture. They say that criticizing Islam is free speech, and it's their right. There are dozens of groups involved with overlapping memberships and overlapping ideologies. Some, like the Proud Boys, Soldiers of Odin, and the Three Percenters, have been covered in the media, but there are several more which have flown largely under the radar. These groups are being confronted by anti-racist and anti-fascist activists. In Toronto, there have been several assaults at recent rallies, which have resulted in hospitalizations and criminal investigations. While anti-fascist demonstrators have participated in, and in some cases initiated, the violence, the majority of the altercations are started by members of the anti-Islam groups who show up ready for a fight. Several social media posts indicate that members are arming themselves, and in Calgary, an extreme right group called the Three Percenters have started openly carrying stun batons at rallies. With the potential for violence escalating, anti-racist organizers are worried that it's only a matter of time before there's another anti-Muslim attack in Canada, like the mosque shooting in Quebec, or the recent Portland stabbings that began with a white supremacist harassing Muslim teenagers on a bus. The anti-Islam groups have their own fringe media outlets and personalities. They are encouraged by political figures like Kelly Leach, whose dog whistle rhetoric on Canadian values and increased immigration screening were popular. Their views were also legitimized by members of the Conservative Caucus who spoke out against M103, which is the liberal motion condemning Islamophobia, or by members of the Conservative Caucus who didn't vote for it, including current Conservative leader Andrew Scheer. They actually are afraid of Islam, it's not irrational. I'm not personally afraid of Islam, Deus Vault, but... Uh, Deus Vault, what does that mean? It's, uh, it basically means that by this sign we shall conquer. So I'm a Christian and I do believe that hopefully one day we can make Bethlehem Christian again. That's a side motivation of mine, but uh, man. This actually, Deus Vault means God wills it. Okay. So it means God is basically backing us up today, type thing, you know. Members of the anti-Islam groups have their own extreme right-wing media outlets. The largest is Rebel Media, which is often compared to Breitbart News in the United States. Rebel Media is profiting on narratives of white genocide and the Islamic takeover of the Western world. Kaelin Robertson is a contributor to Rebel Media. Here he is speaking at a recent Rebel Live event, which Candeland was barred from attending. It is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. 
for the British people and the Europeans become a minority in their own cities and towns. And when Islam becomes a majority, it becomes a complete disaster. Sharia law is implemented violently and there's no going back. So basically there's two outcomes for Europe. One is there's a civil war before that happens and we basically have to throw away all our democracy. We have to throw away all of our human rights. A lot of people die and it will be a complete disaster. Nobody wants that. The second is that it becomes an Islamic state. Canada and is that the US can watch what's going on very closely and make sure they do everything they possibly can to stop it happening in their own country. These groups claim to be only anti-Islam, only critical of the religion, not of the people that practice it. But groups rarely moderate racist comments in their Facebook groups, prompting some fellow group members to share reminders to not post or say racist things because it hurts the movement's image. One of these members is Sandra Solomon. She's a prominent Canadian anti-Muslim personality who is connected to several groups. Like other YouTube personalities in the movement, she shows up to mosques and at rallies with a megaphone in hand, shouting anti-Islam and anti-Muslim rhetoric and filming people's responses. Here's Sandra at an April rally at Nathan Phillips Square in Toronto. If you think they are here to integrate with the Canadian value, you are mistaken. I want you to know the true face of Islam. When I criticize Islam, I criticize the Quran. Quran is a hate literature. Every Muslim, what they are trying to do here, they're trying to play taqiyya. That's what they teach us. We need to do taqiyya, deceiving. Deceiving. Until a lie, a lie, a lie. Until Islam take over. The rhetoric is rarely limited to criticisms of the religion of Islam and often spills over to the people who practice it and even non-devout Muslims. Some members of anti-Islam groups say they don't want any Muslim immigrants in Canada because of what they say is the risk of terrorists in their midst. Others say there are no moderate Muslims and that there's a conspiracy to infiltrate Canada to impose Sharia law and take over. On June 3rd, about 150 anti-Islam and anti-Trudeau demonstrators were in Ottawa for what they called the Million Canadian March, a nationwide day of action. One of their speakers was a young boy who was no older than 10 years old who was reading from a script. Brothers, sisters, and the global Canadian patriots, welcome to Ottawa! The anti-Muslim movement is strongest in Toronto, Montreal, and Calgary, but chapters of the anti-Muslim groups are springing up all across Canada. In a second, you're going to hear from Chris. He's been documenting racist groups and violence on his blog for nearly 20 years. For his safety, Chris asked that we don't use his last name. One of the reasons why the blog was set up is to record and to highlight individuals and, and a movement that wasn't really being covered uh, sufficiently by the mainstream press. These are people that you know, we need to take seriously and that the mainstream press needs to do a better job of connecting the dots. It was easy back then because they were very overt. Chris is talking about neo-Nazis back in the 90s. They almost had a costume, they, uh, a uniform in, in a way. Things change now. And the people who engage in this, 
they're often doing so in such a way that it seems, I don't want to say respectable, but it, they use euphemisms. Uh, they often refer to, well, we're not racist because Islam is not a race. I think in Canada, it, it started uh, in earnest when the federal election in 2015 occurred. Stephen Harper used the term old stock Canadian, which was very much a dog whistle to those who heard that and heard white Canadian. Then we also have the Soldiers of Odin that emerged, too. Soldiers of Odin uh, started in Finland um, by an overt neo-Nazi. In Canada, they claim to reject the racism, and yet we've looked at their groups and the numbers of people who support them or who are outright members of these groups. There were a number of people uh, who were members of neo-Nazi groups. This is the vice president of the Worldwide Coalition Against Islam after a June demonstration in Calgary. We stood for real Canadians. We stood for average Canadians. We stood for European Canadians today. And that's it. That's what we did today. It was beautiful. It was a show of force against Islam. We're going to keep showing force against Islam. That's the only thing Islam understands. Until Islam is out of this country, we'll never stop. We need to keep our white European heritage. Goodbye to Islam in Canada. Anti-Muslim demonstrations continue to be held every couple weeks in Toronto and pop up periodically in other cities across the country. Media coverage would have you believe that the anti-Muslim and anti-racist groups are fringe. But they aren't nearly as fringe as they were two years ago. And they represent a lot of Canadians. That was a short documentary by journalist Evan Balgord, who has been covering the alt-right, the fringe right, the right-right for Canada Land and others throughout this past year and a little bit. And Evan is in studio with us now. Welcome to Canada Land Commons. Thank you very much. So, frightening is the first word that comes to mind. Uh, disturbing comes to mind. When you go into these rallies for our listeners just paint a picture of who you see there. Tell us, if, if we're on a streetcar with these people or a bus, who are these people? What do, what do these people look like? Are, are they dressed as lawyers, doctors, construction workers? Who, who are we talking about here? Sure. Well, the scene is usually pretty similar. So uh, I'll talk about what I've seen at Nathan Phillips Square. So you'll kind of walk into the square and you'll see two different groups who might be separated at the beginning by a thin police line of bike cops. So one side, the side of the, uh, the anti-Islam, anti-Muslim groups, a lot of them will be carrying Canadian flags. Some of them will be dressed up in uh, almost military style looking gear. Uh, some of them will be carrying like metal flagpoles, which can be and have been repurposed as weapons. Um, and then on the other side, you will see the, the anti-fascist, anti-racist groups who are a, a younger crowd. A lot of them will be wearing masks to protect their identities, and they will have their own signs. Some of them might be communists, some of them might be anarchists, some of them might come from a steelworkers union, others might just be regular folks. And as soon as you walk into the scene... Um, they'll be shouting back and forth at each other, right? And one side will be shouting, you know, no Sharia law in Canada. The other side will be shouting, uh, like, you know, you're Nazis sometimes. So they'll be shouting, refugees are welcome here. And then usually there's like a, a swell at some point and a few scuffles. I've witnessed many assaults. And then the police will form a bigger barricade between the two groups. And 
it continues until people go home and it ends. So when you are on the ground and and listening to the right mm-hmm. uh, shout and scream and chant, do you get a sense that this is an organized group or that this is sort of an ad hoc group that has come with different and mixed messages of their form of extremism? Or is this an organized group that has come, that is on the same page, that is organized in a way that the messaging is clear, perhaps there's a spokesperson? What what sort of organization do you get a sense is behind this movement? Or is this just a a boatload of, of, of people with this generally same uh, ideology? So there is some organization. You'll show up and there'll be a dozen, maybe more than a dozen groups represented in some form or another uh, with overlapping membership and overlapping ideologies. And there are uh, key speakers that are at several of these rallies and they are loosely tied to several of these groups. And then while they're kind of speaking, you'll see that uh, members of the Jewish Defense League, Soldiers of Odin, uh, and a group that calls themselves uh, the Three Percenters or the Threepers will be kind of providing a security role. They are the big, tough-looking guys, kind of form a perimeter. And they do all their organizing on Facebook and stuff beforehand, so you can see that there is some organization, but it's never like the same group kind of organizing it. It's never the same leader organizing it. It changes a lot, but they all know each other. That being said, though, they also do have some some infighting, some conflict between groups. Some people think that other leaders in the movement are taking like too much credit for the work that they're doing. Others say, like, you know, we shouldn't have this speaker or this group kind of represent us because, you know, they make us look racist. So you see those kind of divides as well. They don't think they're racist. Correct. So what do they think they are? So they think that they are criticizing Islam, the religion, and that's legitimate. However, there is some kind of cognitive dissonance there because anytime they criticize Islam, they almost always verge into the territory of criticizing the practitioners of Islam. And then often that goes one step further and they're, and they're just criticizing non-devout Muslims. I can give one good example of that. I, I was at a rally. Uh, one of their main speakers, her name is Sandra Solomon. A young family who looked Muslim came up from the parking garage. It wasn't actually clear if they were there to you know, enter City Hall and do city business or just had parked there or if they were joining the counter demonstration or what. It wasn't really clear. Uh, So Sandra Solomon, though, is kind of near the part where they came up from the parking garage. She points at them and she says, like, you know, no Sharia law in Canada, like, go home and things like that. Well, she doesn't know if if, if they are practitioners of Islam. She doesn't know if they're here for the demonstration. She just saw brown people. And she pointed them out and started yelling at them. A lot of them will say that there are no moderate Muslims. Like, where are the moderate Muslims? But another thing you hear often, uh, both on, you know, the Facebook chats of these folks and in person is 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 they'll refer to this thing called like takia which i understand is 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 a reference that like practitioners of islam are allowed to lie to further islam or something like that and uh they will say that all muslims even muslims that don't look like they're practicing islam are actually deceiving and lying to you so that they can you know enter the country they reach a certain level they ask for certain religious rights or something like like sharia courts or whatever eventually they take power and then it's sharia law for everyone and white canadian women will have to wear like niqabs and hijabs i find that so fascinating like i you get the trolls a lot 
saying like, well, do you want to wear a hijab? Or I've also like a common one is like, you're probably going to marry a Muslim. Like that's some kind of insult. Like it's actually fascinating to see like how the psychology goes. It's like, I don't fucking care what religion someone is that I date, but that's just the divide in the in the way that their brain works, right? And, and oh God, do we suck at covering this right now? A little bit. It's getting it's getting a lot better. So I've had several conversations with uh, with other journalists in the past two months or so. So when this started, February, March, very few people were covering it. Vice had gone to Ezra Levant's Rebel Media's anti-M103 rally, and uh, a few other people from Vice had been at some of these events. But now we're seeing more mainstream attention. So CBC has been covering some of the uh, the assaults that happened at one of the recent rallies and some uh, police investigation that have resulted uh, from that. Post Media did a, a good job of covering what happened in Ottawa for their National Day of Action. And I understand that Vice and Ben Maku are actually putting together a documentary right now on a similar topic on, on the rise of the alt-right. So I'm starting to see more mainstream media attention. And that's great because the coverage up till now has mostly treated these events as weird one-offs, right? They've made it seem like this doesn't represent a wide swath of Canadians. And I don't think that's true. These are just the people that managed to make it out to a rally or whatever. But if you look at like the Facebook comments and stuff like that, these groups are much larger on Facebook. There's much wider support and on both sides. There's lots of folks that would like to come out to these rallies to stand up to the anti-Islam groups and stuff as well that don't show up. Well, and, and some of the some of the media coverage, you know, we'll look at the um, Million Canadian March, not quite a million people, uh, not quite a million Canadians, but over conflating those numbers in the media is a little bizarre. You know, they, they said that there was up to 5,000 people in Ottawa. Estimates were somewhere between three and 400 people, still a, a sizable group of people. It's nothing to uh, scoff at. Is it safe to judge this movement in, in Canada and beyond by social media use and, and what we see on social media? Are these people sort of feeling safe on Facebook, clicking like on a group and, and then sort of remaining quiet? Or is this sort of active underground and we just can't see it yet? What, what do you, what sense do you get? I always think of it as economies of scale when we, when we look at how we might be different from the United States in this regard, right? So say Canada was a village of uh, 100 people in each village and we were all spread out. Now, if 1% of Canada was anti-Islam or racist, you'd have one person in each village and they would not feel comfortable coming out to their village uh, with these views. However, uh, when you have something like, like social media, you know, you might have 1% of America or 1% of Canada. I'm just using that as an arbitrary number. But when they can organize online, they can reach a critical mass to feel safe coming out. So the social media, I think, has really played into that. They can find other like-minded people. It's, it's not like it was in the 1990s where if you wanted to recruit for your local neo-Nazi chapter, you had to, like, what, put up pamphlets in a, in a phone booth and then talk to folks. It's not quite like that. So I think that actually looking at the social media is, is a decent indication of where it may be going because that's, that's where they organize. The social media space is one place where we see the rise of these communities, but perhaps we can point to other forms of media as well. Uh, the Rebel, some other right-wing publications in this country that, that publish extreme views. The Rebel is being supported by these people that harbor this fear-mongering. W what sense do you get how closely these uh, communities are tied? To, to your first point, 
there is a responsibility that we need to lay on some of our media for like this kind of dog whistle rhetoric against against Muslims and against practitioners of, of Islam. I haven't had a chance to to write this or to report it out yet, but I spoke with several experts of interpersonal relations, experts in racism. Uh, several of them were PhDs in psychology. And they were all willing to draw a direct link between the dog whistle rhetoric, kind of like Kelly Leach, Canadian values, tougher immigration screening, uh, the rhetoric of the rebel and Ezra Levant. They were willing to tie that rhetoric to more racist kind of coming out of the closet, feeling that their views are normalized and safe to express, and ultimately to more hate crimes. I spent over a month trying to find a dissenting view in academia, and I could not. So that's, I feel that that's well established, that there is actually a link in promoting hate to hate crimes happening. So as to our, our media scene, we're seeing, uh, obviously, with uh, Rebel Media, there's a few other fringe outlets uh, that I don't want to give oxygen by, by naming here. But they do have followings in these anti-Islam, anti-Muslim groups. They are very popular there. Uh, they all love the Rebel. Uh, they have you know Rebel hosts as guests. Faith Goldie shows up as an attendee if she isn't a speaker at these anti-Islam events, uh, Faith Goldie being one of the main... Uh, media personalities of the rebel. It's not just the rebel. That's right. I mean, we're seeing the same kind of narrative in more mainstream press in Canada. So they don't go as far as the rebel, of course. But we have seen kind of this this narrative of white genocide that was put out, I believe, in, in the Vancouver Sun, really startlingly by, by a former ambassador to the region, right? I mean, that's very concerning. But we're also seeing papers like like the Toronto Sun kind of put out these anti-Islam, anti-Muslim messages. And it's concerning that this has, this has made it into mainstream consciousness. I wonder how much of it is, you know, how much of it is the rebel actually influencing mainstream media and them taking messages from, from the rebel. Uh, and it's concerning because it does normalize these ideas, right? Nobody wants the idea of, of white genocide normalized. I mean, it's a concept that, that plays to people's most base fears. It's not a white genocide. It's, it's inviting people to, to come in and share our country with us. And they become Canadians. As soon as they go through their citizenship ceremony, they're a Canadian. They're not somebody white genociding us. And I find that, uh, that narrative very, very disturbing. I mean, if you're, you're a part of a group like this, I guess it's not common or not necessary or not needed for them to really dig into the faith they hate so much, you know, to, in an effort to understand it and really understand, you know, if you want to use their, their language, understand the enemy. But in a handful of people that, that I've turned to, to, to help teach me about this issue in Canada and the way it's been broken down for me with Sharia law is that that one of the key pillars of Sharia law is that you are to respect the laws of the land, the laws that are already in place. And that through Sharia law, you are attempting to live peacefully with neighbors. Don't lie, cheat, steal all of the same things your Bible says. And the, the fear and the way they articulate that fear is racism, period. And it can't be called any, it can't be called any other thing. Because I think you're absolutely right. There, there is no white genocide happening in Canada. And to use those words is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, we do see actually a lot of um, a white nationalists in the anti, anti-Muslim, anti-Islam scene. They are more discreet now than they used to be, right? You used to be able to tell a neo-Nazi by the fact they had, you know, shaved head, 
some Nazi tattoos and like, you know, white shoelaces on their combat boots. But instead, you see different language now. And uh, and in the one clip that you heard in the doc I did, you know, they talk about like white European heritage and stuff like that. And and that language is being used by one of the largest groups organizing against uh, Islam in Canada, the, the Worldwide Coalition Against Islam, which was started by, by a Canadian. So we are seeing that there are white supremacists in their midst. But I mean, most people wouldn't identify as that. And it's actually a, an interesting thing in Canada. We have this... Uh, I've been struggling with the term for it, uh, maybe an ethnic nationalism, uh, an ethnic anti-Islam view, but uh, it's it's not all just white folks in Canada who, who don't want Muslims here. You will actually see uh, a more diverse crowd that are saying these things. I find it fascinating that the neo-Nazis are there, though, because of their traditional, for lack of a better word, anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. And something we need to remember from the hate crime statistics that came out is the number one group that is targeted by reported hate crimes in Canada is still Jewish people. And yet a lot of the leaders of these anti-Muslim groups, there's a lot of Jewish people involved in that. It's fascinating that you see, like, are they they rubbing the edges off their anti-Semitism or is it like the enemy of my enemy is my friend? I see it as the enemy of the enemy is my friend. I mean, I, I think specifically you're referring to like the Jewish Defense League who have been standing shoulder to shoulder at these rallies with some members of the Soldiers of Odin. Uh, and I've seen um, them standing shoulder to shoulder with uh, this one photo of a guy who has, uh, it's like a Celtic-esque tattoo that is recognized as a neo-Nazi symbol. And he's standing next to uh, members of the Jewish Defense League. I don't know how much of it is, are they aware that the people that they're standing next to, have they taken their own time to do the research? But uh, when you're in the, the, the Facebook groups of, of some of these people, you will also see like anti-black and anti-Semitic comments. So I, I, I think I, I've written before, it's, I think it's like a, a scorpion and a, and a frog scenario where it's like, you know, we'll work together to this thing, you know, just promise you won't sting me. But then, you know, people who have bigoted, hateful views very frequently have a wide swath of bigoted, hateful views. Uh, you will see the misogyny go hand in hand with, you know, anti-Semitism and anti-black racism, sometimes all in the same Facebook comment. At the most recent thing, which was the al Day rally, which was opposed by the Jewish Defense League and all of these anti-Islam, anti-Muslim groups, I had actually gone for two reasons. I had gone to monitor for any anti-Semitism because I know al Quds Day has been problematic in the past and there was a speaker invited who has been labeled as a Holocaust denier. He did not mention the Holocaust at all while he was there, but he did say that 9-11 was a Zionist and U.S. conspiracy. So he had some pretty far out there views. I was there to monitor for any anti-Semitic racism, but for also for any anti-Muslim racism uh, when they would march and then run into the group led by the JDL, which also had all the other anti-Islam, anti-Muslim groups in Toronto. So I found out shortly before arriving at the, uh, the Al-Quds Day Marshall Point at, at Queen's Park that, uh, that a flyer was being circulated among, among the JDL and uh, the anti-Muslim, anti-Islam groups with my face and name on it, labeling me as a leftist, and air quotes here, semi-legit media. Uh, but they'd put my face up next to other folks that are definitely on their enemies list, such as uh, uh, Kevin Metcalf, who had been singled out and, uh, and assaulted at the April 6th rally. Kevin Metcalf is with the uh, Canadian Journalist for Free Expression. He is a, a citizen journalist, and he also works for them in monitoring for any examples of uh, press being prevented from doing their job, uh, which is ironic because on the day uh, of his assault at April 6th, he was obviously prevented from 
doing his job. So a flyer had been circulating with my face and name on it. So when the two groups met one another, I actually saw uh, members of the three percenters who I recognized by face. They had the pamphlet that I had seen a, a picture of on Twitter, and they like pointed at it, pointed at me, pointed me out to, to a group of folks. And then I was just you know continuing to do my job. I was between the police were between me and them, so I wasn't too concerned for my safety. But near the end of the rally, there were a couple of young members of the JDL and a member of uh, the Three Percent organization who pointed at me and then mimes kicking my head in. And then when I turned the camera on them to like capture it, that just encouraged them to do it a little more vigorously. Evan, you know, I guess I guess first want to acknowledge and commend you for 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 covering this. Not a lot of people are, and so on some levels, your safety and those that are covering it, their safety is in question here because I don't see these people as being very reasonable people where they understand the job of journalists. It would seem to me that they would almost want journalists to be there so their cause got coverage in a way that they would want their story heard because they have determined that this cause is right and just and therefore would welcome journalists to cover it on some level. But that's not the case. And that kind of, that kind of, that makes me unsettled. That makes me very uncomfortable that they are, have been so uncooperative with journalists and are only allowing certain people um, behind that cop line to cover it. What kind of sense do you get from this work as a journalist in regards to your safety or, or in regards to the way journalists are being, we use fake news now as the term, but the way journalists are being granted access to movements like this. Yeah. So I've tried to interview some of them on the ground before I was uh, so well identified as, as being an enemy, I guess. Frequently, you know, you'll get asked what outlet you're from and you'll say like, oh, today I'm, you know, I, I might be shooting some video for consideration by the CBC or something like that. They'll be like, oh, the CBC, I hate the CBC. That's fake news. Or you know, they have their outlets that are on their enemies list. And they also have their friendly media outlets like, like Rebel Media. And they will speak with their friendly media outlets and not speak with other media. And it's concerning because uh, it's detrimental to themselves. Like I have to give them an opportunity to comment on, on things that I write about or the perspectives that I'm getting. And they have no desire to engage with me. So I get my information based on their own, the things they say. They publish a lot of YouTube videos. They write a lot of things on social media. So that's how I get my impressions from them. But I, I would really benefit from a deeper understanding of these groups. And I think Canada would as well. And that is not an avenue that is available. When you show up to these events, the police essentially make you choose a side. They say, you're going to stand with this group or you're going to stand with this group. And once I'd been seen talking to members of the anti-fascist, anti-racist group to do interviews and stuff like that, I didn't feel safe going behind the other line where, you know, I'd be four or five people deep into a crowd uh, and nobody could see me. But the police force us to make the choice, which side are you going to report on today? And it's, it's made being a journalist uh, uh, very difficult. Evan Belgrade, thank you so much for joining us here on Canada Land Commons to talk about your important and sometimes scary reporting on the alt-right, the fringe right, the far right, whatever the heck you want to call them. Clearly an issue that we need to shed more sunshine on in this country. So glad that somebody's doing it. Thank you very much. So hey, as we said at the top of the show, Commons is off for the summer. We'll be back in September with a fresh batch of episodes. We'll unpack the NDP leadership race and speak with some of the leading candidates. We'll also be bringing back Is This a Thing? So if you come across a thing this summer and you can't all ask about Justin Trudeau's socks 
and you're not sure if that thing is a thing, send it to us at commons at canadalandshow.com and our panel of distinguished experts, aka the three of us, will be the arbiters of things that may or may not be things. I'm Padilla Rodrigue. Follow me at drodrigue on Twitter. I'm Ashley Chinati. You can follow me on Twitter at Ashley Chinati. That's Ashley with an L-E-Y, last name C-S-A-N-A-D-Y. And I'm Ryan McMahon. Follow me at RM Comedy on Twitter. Follow Canadaland Commons on Twitter at Canadaland C-M-N-S. Check out our website at canadalandshow.com slash commons. And you can email us at commons at canadalandshow.com. Our Patreon page is patreon.com slash canadaland. The producer of Commons is Russell Bragg, with assistance this week from Allie Graham. Our music is produced by Nathan Burley. If you like what we do, please support us. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.